Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. He was given a reed and not sure that the the measure that is being accomplished is what we might think because when we think of a measure, we think of uh, measuring space and and, and things of that nature. We see that in Ezekiel's temple, uh, which speaks of the millennial temple. We see measurements going forth, but this is really a sizing up or an estimation that God is really giving on the altar and the people that are worshiping in this third temple in Jerusalem, yet future to us. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, our journey through the book of Revelation brings us to the beginning of chapter 11. John is given a rod to measure the temple. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the idea of measuring communicates ownership, protection, and preservation. When this temple is measured, it shows that God knows its every dimension, and he is in charge. This is one of the glorious, mighty themes of the book of Revelation, that God is in charge. Now let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 11 as Pastor Rob begins in verse 1. Uh, Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 11. We're just going to look at the first two verses this morning. The first two verses... This is one of those chapters that is, uh, we could have just gone right through it and, and gotten into the two witnesses. And, but I really just, uh, we haven't been here in a while really discussing this whole idea of the, of the temple in a while. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to, to take a pause on these first two verses and really talk about this tribulation temple that is going to be built in the last days. It's not there now, uh, but it's going to be. And, and so let's take some time talking about that and also the other temples in Israel's history. I think you'll find this quite fascinating. Revelation chapter 11. Remember, this is a time in the timeline of God where we, we ever since we've been in chapter 6 through chapter 19, it's what is called the Great Tribulation Period. It's a period of time after the church has been removed in the rapture which could happen at any time, by the way, uh, today, hopefully, especially when my daughter's got stitches. I'm sure she'd like to be raptured. Uh, but uh, after the church is removed, the Bible speaks of a time coming that's called Daniel's 70th week. It's called Jacob's, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's also called the Great Tribulation Period. It's a time that, that it's a period where God is going to pour out his wrath on a world, again, that has rejected his son, Jesus Christ. 
And, and this is not a good time. This is, this is a horrible time in human history, but it is a time that is very well documented in the scriptures. And I think it's there by design. Of course it is. But it's to uh, help us to um, be aware of the time that we live in and to know that our time is short and we need to be vocal about our faith because time is rolling on. And when the church is removed, it's going to be very difficult for someone to come to Christ because the delusions, the deceptions are going to be so great, it's going to be very difficult for someone to come to Christ afterwards. Very, extremely difficult. I don't like playing, the, I, you know, you've, everyone's heard of the game Russian Roulette that they, that they played in World War II. We don't want to play Russian Roulette with this. That's why it's important that today you give your heart to Jesus. Because this is very serious stuff. It's very serious stuff. You know, the Lord is loving, he's gracious, and he's compassionate. His love is overwhelming. But we're, we're in a part of the scripture here where we're seeing it is the other side of God's love. Because if God is a great God of love and compassion, and um, because of his great love, he also has to punish sin. Sin has to be dealt with. And if God didn't love us, he wouldn't warn us. He wouldn't chasten us when we go wrong, when we do things wrong. If your parents didn't love you, they wouldn't chasten you when you did bad things when you were young. They, they, they did those things because they loved. And even through the tribulation period, God's love is still present, but he's, he's going to be, it's going to be on the other side of the coin. And many people will come to Christ in the tribulation, but it's going to be very very difficult. And so the time that we're looking at right now is, um, this is a graphic that I've been using for uh, ever since we began uh, the tribulation. Uh, we've already talked about the seven seals. The, these are seven different judgments. And now we're looking at the seven trumpet judgments. We've already looked at the first four. And then we're, um, we've talked about uh, the fifth trumpet and uh, the, si- the sixth trumpet. And next week or the, in a couple weeks, we'll be talking about the seventh trumpet. These fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets are also called the three woes. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first one. And you can look at this yourself. It's right there in, in ink on your Bible. It tells you when the first woe begins and when it, be, when it ends. And it begins in uh, chapter 9 and goes down through verse 11. And then we know that the second woe is actually going to... Uh, it begins in chapter 13. I'm sorry, uh, verse 13 of chapter 9. And this is a time of demonic activity upon the earth. All of chapter 9 is really a spooky chapter. It speaks about demonic, uh, demonic activity in a very high form on the earth during the Great Tribulation period. And that, that second woe, or that sixth trumpet, ends at the 14th verse of the chapter we're looking at today. And then the third woe begins, we believe, with the seventh trumpet, which begins at the 15th verse of chapter 11. And it really goes till the end of the Bible until Jesus Christ comes back to the earth, uh, we believe. And so there's, um, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But, but Jesus said about this time that if he didn't come back, it would be a time so terrible upon the earth that if he didn't come back, no flesh would survive it. So it's important that we take these things into our hearts, not only for our own information, but to warn others. Because the gospel is the gospel. It's good news because there's bad news, very bad news. The bad news is that I'm a sinner. The bad news is that if left to my own devices and left unrepentant, I'm going to go straight to hell when I die. And nobody likes to talk about that. No one likes to talk about that, but nonetheless, it is the teeth of the gospel.
That is what brought me to Christ. That's what brought all of you to Christ. Hopefully all of you are in Christ. It's what brings people. I don't want to go that, to that place. I want to be in heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but it has to be on God's terms, you see. It can't be something that I do. It can't be of my good works. Because the Bible says that even on my best day, all my good works are like filthy rags in the sight of God. That means even my motives are impure. But in Christ, you can have redemption. If you confess your sin and give your heart to him, you can live with him for eternity. And that is amazing. But this morning, we're going to be looking at, we are still in this period of time called the second woe. And the second woe is really, uh, it began with these demonic hordes uh, beginning in verse uh, 13 of chapter 9. And as we continue to go through chapter 11, we're going to see the two witnesses that God's going to establish on the earth, which we'll talk about next week. But they're going to unleash plagues upon the earth, uh, much like Elijah and Moses did. And we'll look at, at that next week. But we're just going to look at the first two verses, because it talks about this temple uh, that is going to be coming. And this is significant because it's going to be a new temple that's going to be built in Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, in, on this earth here in the future, and it's the result of a covenant that the Antichrist, the man of sin, the the lawless one that he makes with Israel to build their temple. And if you recall, John the Apostle had this to say about Antichrist. We have to differentiate this as we go forward. I think now is a good time to do it. There are Antichrists, there is an Antichrist, and then there's the spirit of Antichrist. Notice in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, it says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, notice singular, the Antichrist, he's coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Notice, they went out from us. It wasn't people from outside the church, it was inside that started a lot of this, by which we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have, not, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. And so we have this Antichrist, this man who's coming on the scene in the, in the future after the church is removed. And there are many antichrists in the world. There always has been. Even when John wrote this letter in the first century, there were many antichrists. Many people who not only were uh, vehemently opposed to Jesus Christ, but also proclaimed themselves to be in place of him. So it's not just opposition to him, but it's in place of him. And anything that's in the place of Christ is the spirit of Antichrist. In fact, in uh, the next uh, slide here says, Beloved, John says again, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. That's something we need to do today. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. And so this man, this man of sin, is going to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. And as you remember, in the scripture right now in Revelation, we're at the midpoint of the tribulation 
at the beginning of the tribulation, from your perspective looking up at me, in the beginning of the tribulation is when this peace treaty, there's a peace treaty that the Antichrist is going to make with the nation of Israel, and he's going to allow them to build their temple. And this first three and a half years is going to be a time when they're going to be building that temple. And um, the, 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 the two witnesses are going to be ministering during that time. The 144,000 evangelists are going to be ministering during that time. But there's coming a point right in the middle where he's going to break that treaty with Israel. He's going to set himself, an image of himself, in the temple. He's going to cause all of the, uh, the services to stop. And he's going to force everyone to worship his image. And this is where the Antichrist shows his true colors. Now, here's the thing, and this is where we're at in the scripture today. And so, and no, it makes sense, doesn't it, that if there is going to be a temple coming in Jerusalem, there has to be Jews. <laughs> Since 70 AD, the Jews have been out of their homeland. From 70 AD up to May 14, 1948, the land has been desolate. There's been no Jewish temple. The Jews were scattered about the known world at the time. We call it the diaspora or the dispersion of the Jews. And then in 1948, May 14th, they come back. It's now their homeland. And this Antichrist who is coming, he is going to give them this opportunity to build this temple. Let's read the first two verses. It says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. So this is the angel speaking to John, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. Now this is, uh, this is uh, um, the Lord is, is giving to John this vision of what's coming in the future. So he rises, he says, But leave out the church, or I'm sorry, leave out the church, leave out the court, which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. 42 months. And so, this is where we are at. And let's look at this first verse again. He was given a reed, and not sure that the the measure that is being accomplished is what we might think, because when we think of a measure, we think of uh, measuring space and, and, and things of that nature. We see that in Ezekiel's temple, uh, which speaks of the millennial temple. We see measurements going forth. But this is really a sizing up or an estimation that God is really giving on the altar and the people that are worshiping in this third temple in Jerusalem, yet future to us. And this is important because the book of Revelation, remember, was written in 95 A.D., And when John was writing this, the temple had already been gone and destroyed for 25 years. 70 A.D. It was destroyed. And then in 95 A.D., John begins to write the book of Revelation, speaking of another temple yet coming. It hasn't come yet, but it is. It is coming. It is coming. And we live in an interesting time because between 70 up to the present, there's been no Jewish temple in Jerusalem. In fact, there is a prerequisite for this third temple. The first prerequisite is the Jewish people have to be back in the land. It's never occurred until again, like I said, May 14th, 1948. The Jewish people have to be in their land. If there's no Jews, they're not going to build a temple. 
And the second thing that the, the second prerequisite is that there would have to be a significant change in religion or politics. There, there's going to have to be something significant, a covenant or a treaty to allow the Jewish temple to be built alongside the El Aqsa Mosque or the Dome of the Rock and on the Temple Mount. Are you serious? They're going to cohabitate side by side? It seems like it could be. Unless, unbeknownst to us, that Dome of the Rock and the El Aqsa Mosque are destroyed somehow. But if that doesn't happen, this Jewish temple is going to lie right next to it. And the Antichrist, through craft and through other political means and deception, he's going to allow them to build this temple. And so the first of these two things have already occurred. The Jews are back in the land. The second item of the treaty hasn't occurred yet. In fact, go with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. Or you can just write it down and I'm going to read it to you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul speaking to the Thessalonians concerning the end times. He says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Notice, and the man of sin is revealed. This man of sin is the Antichrist. He is the, he's not only the man of sin, but he's also called the son of perdition. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So Paul is pointing to another temple in which this Antichrist is going to set up his throne on this earth. Briefly, thank God. In verse 6 it says, And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, meaning the Holy Spirit of God in the church, he who restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, this Antichrist, then he will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. You remember that the church has to be removed first. He has to be re- we have to be removed first, or else we will call this one out very easily. But most of the world who doesn't read their Bibles are going to be completely clueless. He's not going to come on the scene with a a pointed tail and a pitchfork and a red suit with pointy ears. He's going to be a very elegant man. He's going to be a very, probably a good-looking man. He's going to be certainly well-spoken. He's going to be awesome. He's going to be the politician of politicians. And there's going to be no dirty laundry on this guy. He's going to look squeaky clean, and everyone's going to awe and be in awe of him, right? They're going to be in awe, but there is a temple coming. But the church does have to be removed. And once the church is removed, then God's plan of Daniel's 70th week can unfold. It'll unfold. Now, there are three different temples that have already occurred on the earth. We can see this chart And the first one was Solomon's, built around 1012 B.C. The next one was Zerubbabel's. And then the the last one that has been on the earth so far is Herod's temple. That is currently the one 
uh, that when Jesus was alive, that was the temple that was in place. And throughout Israel's history, we'll see that there's going to be five different temples. You could argue that there really are only four because some consider Zerubbabel's temple really just a, a, a rebuild of Solomon's temple. And what I'd like to do this morning is take a look at these and then we'll park a little bit more when we get to the Tribulation Temple, which is really called the Third Temple. Okay, so, but first, let's talk about the tabernacle. When you think of a temple, it's a stationary place. But the tabernacle, if you recall, was one of these structures that was mobile. It was taken up by the priests, the Levites. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they had a place of worship. And the tabernacle was where they did the sacrifices. And the tabernacle was where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the altar was. It's where they worshipped. But it was a very movable form of worship. It was a very movable thing. And so it really wasn't called a temple per se. And in fact, Exodus chapters 25 through 40 give a detailed outline of all those vestments, how the thing was to be built. Very specific, God told Moses to plan the tabernacle, and it was supposed to be according to the pattern of those things in glory. And you remember when we were in Revelation 4 and 5, we looked at the throne room of God, and we saw the similarities of the throne room of God versus the temple, or versus the articles in the tabernacle and the temple. And so the Jews, they built this temple, and it was a mobile thing. And it's very interesting, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, once the, temple, once the tabernacle, I'm sorry, I'm going to mess that up a lot today, so bear with me. The tabernacle, it's interesting, and I bring this up for a reason. In Exodus 40, after the tabernacle was completed, it says, The cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And Moses was not even able to enter the temple or the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And so this Shekinah glory, we call it, consumed the temple. It was the very presence of God. The very presence of God. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because as we go along, we're going to see something happening with God's presence in the temple. Because we will see as, they, as time went on, as they began to flounder in their morals and in their devotion to the Lord, that um, at one point, before the destruction of Solomon's temple by the Babylonians, the Shekinah glory leaves. It leaves the temple. No longer is it really about Jesus anymore. It became a money-making machine. It became more about the external ritual rather than inward and that can happen to anybody. It certainly happened to the Jews. Their religion became very dead because they were no longer seeking God in, in, in the, on the inward man. They were going through all the outward rituals. And that's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy just to, to have the externals in place. Anybody can do that. It's very easy. Well, it, it can be hard, but the externals aren't really what's important to God, right? God looks on the inward man. He looks at the person on the inside. He doesn't care about how you look on the outside. That's why, uh, you know, one of the movements of Calvary, the movement of Calvary Chapel was so interesting. It started with a bunch of hippies off the beach in Newport Beach in California in the 60s. The hippies came in with, with sand on their feet and they looked unkempt, raggedy clothes, messed up hair, they smelled of pot. <laughs> and they came in, they heard the news of the gospel and were radically saved. So God doesn't care about your externals. 
He sees what's on the inside. That's what's more important. That's a good thing to remember on all these facades that we see, even the temple. God's more concerned with the inner man than what's on the outward. And so the first temple that we see is Solomon's temple. This was built in 950 B.C., and this is called the first temple. You'll notice on the left side of the screen here, you can see Solomon's temple in all of its glory. But yet, when you look at Herod's temple, it dwarfs it by, by, you know, significantly. As we get to Herod's temple, we'll see that Solomon's temple becomes somewhat small compared to Solomon, Solomon's temple. But we read about this temple of Solomon in 1 Kings chapters 5-8. through 8. Remember David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, but God says, David, you can't. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.